Blog Talk Radio. The South Korean Football Club apologized for displaying sex dolls in the stands during a game with no fans. The club then received several calls from area men saying, Are you done with them dolls? I'm Brett Singer. This is my show. from the bunker yeah yeah we're here again and it's monday monday may 18th on brett from the bunker hello 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 i'm joined today by paul spratt paul good morning good morning what's going on well you know i ask everyone so i'm going to ask you how are you holding up <laughs> i'm uh surviving uh it's hard to fill uh 20 it's always, it's always amazing how you like I wish I had more time, and then you have all the time, and then you're like, how do I fill all this time? <laughs> it's it's so true. That is such a good point. I mean, I don't know. I'm filling it with stuff, but I am but I am genuinely wondering if it's the right stuff. Like, I, I'm, I, I'm constantly struggling with, you know, like, I, I get stuff. I do do things. There's a, there's a lot going on, but I'm just right. – I'm now trying to think of, like, so when this is over, what am I going to look back on and say, all right, so what did I do? And I don't, you know, I'm not sure. Well, I was actually thinking about that yesterday. What, what of the stuff that I'm starting to do during this am I going to keep doing <laughs> after, <laughs> like after we come back? Am I still going to be doing all these like live internet shows, or are they going to go away? Or I don't know. I I, I saw I went to something yesterday. Um, Jim Mendrinos had a seminar as part of the New York underground comedy festival and which you should all check out big uh, shout out to Jim. And there were a bunch of people on it. Al Martin was on there and uh, Laurie summer and people, you know, various comedians. And they seem to think that the zoom shows and the Instagram live shows and all that stuff, especially the zoom shows, it's not going to go away. Like that's going to be in addition to the clubs when the clubs reopen. Interesting. I don't really. Do, I haven't done Zoom stand-up. I do do. I do shows like this, <laughs> or like podcasts. But I haven't done Zoom stand-up. Yet. Oh, you haven't done so, any Zoom stand-up. Interesting. Is that is I that a choice? Not. Did, you, did you decide you didn't want to do that? It, it's currently been a choice. I am holding out. I'm not a huge fan. I'm not shitting on people who do do it. I mean, it's to each their own. But I don't want to do it. <laughs> so. I just don't think it's the same thing. So, I mean, you can't really replace a live audience. No, I think stand-up is a live art form, and you can't necessarily do it over the Internet, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense. I, 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 my feeling is this is what we got, um, and yeah. I, so I feel like I need to do it, but I completely understand someone who says, you know what, that's just not for me. I'm really not into it because it's – it's odd. It's definitely now, – yeah. now, I have a show tonight. You should all come out and see it. It should be excellent. We got some great comics, Patricia Ding Lawson, um, Sophia Javid. You know, there's a lot of really – Sharon Simon, some really good people. And I think we're going to – you know, uh, Craig Lautner, I think you know him. Um, yeah. You know, I am very hopeful that it's going to go well and that we're all going to kill. And, and But really what I'm hopeful for is that a few people will allow me to unmute their microphones and that they will laugh. Because all you you just need a couple of people. 
You don't need a ton. You just need a couple of people so you get some feedback on your joke, so you have some sense of whether yeah, or not a sometimes. joke is working. Yeah, instead of that, it's just I, I, I've watched a few, <laughs> and uh, it just looks like everybody feels like they're bombing. That's what it looks like. <laughs> it, it absolutely does. There, there's, I, I don't really know what uh, Jim Mendrino said was you kind of, you got to have balls of steel. You got to just get up there, you got to do your thing and just barrel through. Just keep going and hope for the best. And I think that's probably the best advice that I've gotten is I cuz you know, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I don't know what it yeah, is. Well, do you think it helps you keep your comic a sword, so to speak, sharp, or you think it's going to hurt you when you come back? Because, I mean, if you get used to just barreling through and then you're going back to live stand-up, you know what I'm saying? Do you think it's helping or hurting you? I think that that's an interesting question. Um, It helps right now in the sense that this is what I do, so I feel like I want to do it, and it helps get the jokes out because I'm writing a lot. That is one thing that's right. happening. And, and now it is definitely up for debate how much of this material is going to be relevant when we come back. But at the same time, how soon are we really coming back? So for the moment, this is what I got. I can get the jokes out there. You know, it's not bad. Um, in terms of the overall development, I don't know. It's a, it's a tricky question. I mean, I I would like to think there have been so, there have been some positives that I would like to point to. I've been expanding my. I had been working on trying to make my jokes a little bit longer. That's that's been happening. So, you know, it's, it's just it, – it's clearly a different thing. It is just not the same thing. That was another piece of advice from yesterday and is that they yeah. said don't treat these shows the same way you treat a live show. Well, that makes sense. You can't. It's different. It's like almost yeah, like a whole different art form to itself. Right. <laughs> 100%. I mean, 100%. I guess, yeah, you're keeping your writing sharp, so I guess that – I haven't written anything. Really? You don't you don't feel inspired yeah, by all the crazy? I don't. And then I think what's holding me back is that I feel like at any point in uh I guess in stand up comedy is that we all more now than ever are writing about the same thing. So it's going to be very hard to find a unique angle on this since we're all experiencing, like, how often in stand-up is every stand-up experiencing the same exact thing? You know what I'm saying? Well, the other, the flip side to that, I would, I agree with you, but there's also the idea that every audience member is experiencing the same thing. So we have a shared experience, which is unusual. Right. Like, there's, there's always some things that we're all sharing in, but this is like we're really all doing the same stuff. Like the, the Tiger King jokes at the open mics got really old, but one reason is that people were doing them is because everybody was watching that damn show. I did not, but everybody else was watching it, so everybody could talk about it, they could reference it, and everybody knew what they were talking about. So you know, at least for the purposes right. of those, they, the jokes worked. Um, I just you know I'm wondering whether or not for a while I was saying when we get back, are people going to want to hear about this? And now it's more like Jesus. When the hell are we going to get back? I mean, the I, I've heard Labor Day as being the as being the earliest. So you know that's a that's a while away. Well, from what I've heard is yeah, New York City is definitely Labor Day. I, right. New York City is probably going to be the last one to come back, and then there I think the Blasio said his goal was Labor Day, but there are some comedy clubs I know in like the Midwest that are opening in June but they have to follow social distancing. 
So from what I've seen of pictures, there's a club in Kansas City that has opened back up that's following, and I've seen pictures of it, and I'm like, I mean, is that even worth opening to where you're fitting 12 people in a big room with six feet? You know what I mean? Like, comedy's made to be a big crowd that's close together to make the experience shared. If you're all super far apart, I think it kind of, that makes the experience super hard, I think, in my mind. Yeah, I would think so. But that's that's the general consensus is how do you I mean obviously once you have the smaller clubs like a club like Greenwich it's going to be really hard for them to make them just to make the numbers work obviously but then you know even a even a like Broadway's downstairs room which is you know nice and big yeah I mean you've got people sitting six feet apart does the laugh really carry you know like are people going to feel comfortable laughing there's there's some there's some weird challenges there's definitely some things that I don't know how they're going to work yeah. Well, I mean, so I mean, <laughs> I was laughing because New York comics are probably the most experienced <laughs> in that facet of how to deal with something like that because of all the bar shows that are lightly attended and they're spread out, or any of the clubs are spread out. I mean, New York comics are probably the only ones that know how to experience that compared to somebody who's on the road. But now they're gonna have to experience it because of these clubs. Like, I talked to a booker in Ohio that's opening in June and they have to follow social distancing and they're going to try it. So, I mean, it's slowly coming back, but it's not going to be fully back. I don't know when it's going to be fully back. And then, I mean, if they're all opening individually or what comics are going to see the opportunity, you know what I mean? Yeah, I think well that that'll be interesting. You probably get a ton of New York comics trying to you know get over to Ohio, right? I mean they're going to get in and right. So now will well, you travel? Are are you willing to go out and hit the road for to get a gig? Yeah, I mean I did that before, so it doesn't bother me now. But right. I mean New York. I mean, I guess I, I would assume there's going to be a mass exodus from New York. It'll be interesting to see what New York is like. After this, are we going to see like an 80s type New York? You know what I mean? Where it's like really hardcore, all the fluff people left. You know what I mean? Like the rich kids aren't going to be there anymore because, you know, it was too hard. So they went home or they went somewhere else. You know what I mean? We're going to get back to the old gritty New York. <laughs> or well, I didn't it, think of that. Wow. Gonna so we, like? We're going to get 70s, 80s New York. Wow. Because there's going to be a lot of homeless people. It's ugh, That'll be interesting. That's the New York I grew up in. Right. And, I mean, think about it. I mean, even – I mean, I left because I had to. But uh, I want to come back. But financially, I had to leave. I'm at my parents' house in North Carolina. Oh, I didn't realize that. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, so I had to leave. I had to move out of my apartment at the end of April anyways before all this happened. So then when it happened, like, the eviction rule didn't really save me because <laughs> – I was supposed to leave already anyways, right. but they still wanted me out. So I I wasn't making any money, and then, like, so I was, like, I had to put my tail between my legs and retreat <laughs> to my parents' house. Oh, wow. So, but I want to come, come back, but even for the months that I stayed in New York, uh, just hibernating in my apartment, there was moving trucks on my street every day. Definitely a mass exodus, so... It'll be interesting to see what New York will be like after this. Yeah, 
No, absolutely. I, I hadn't really thought about that. But yes, I imagine there will be people who say, you know, screw this. I mean, I, I well, look at it this way. I came to New York to do comedy or I came to New York to pursue whatever artistic uh, pursuit. And now that's not available to me. That's, you know, and, and the city is a hard place to live. So maybe I shouldn't stay here. Right. But I mean, it depends. I mean, because I mean, it probably will have an artistic renaissance afterwards, but it depends on what's still there. You know what I'm saying? Like, some of the institutionalized comedy clubs might still be there, but some of these other ones, like, can they survive not being able to open until September? You know what I'm saying? Oh, there's definitely going to be some, and I, I don't have any sense of which ones or anything like that, and, I, I'm, and I'm not the only one saying this. You know, that there'll be some clubs that just won't be able to make it. They'll they'll just have to give up the ghost because there's just, the, like, like I said, the numbers don't work. And as you said, yeah. you know, they got to wait. You got to you got to sit on, uh, you know, paying rent for forever. I mean, maybe you can negotiate something with your landlord. I mean, if the landlord's smart, they'll let you slide for a little bit, I would think. But I, you know, that's not a conversation yeah. I'd want to have. But I mean, from March to September, that's what six months. That's a long time. <laughs> you know what I mean, like, yeah, that's tough. So, I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, UCB already uh, is gone. So, you don't think Amy Poehler could have saved that if she wanted to? She could, but I mean, was it worth it? I mean, I feel like UCB was such a pain in the ass to her and oh, everybody right? else involved for the whole time. Well, because it used to be always caught so much like scrutiny and like uh, it was always getting bad headlines between like there was so much just always involved with So, she probably at this point was like, is it really worth trying to fight to save this, or is it easier to just let it go? Well, also, you don't necessarily want to just throw money at it. Like, it's not a, it's not a vanity project. The, the idea was that it's self-sustaining, and once it's not self-sustaining, then maybe it doesn't need to, you know, I guess it doesn't need to survive. Yeah, because, I mean, do you just want to lose money to hope that eventually you can just go back to being, you know, it's just, but, I mean, that same, I, I, I don't think New York can do socially distant comedy. So it can't come back until it can fully come back. Like, they don't have the luxury of, like, a road club where you can really spread people out, where you had, like, 300 capacity and you can do 150 and still get by. You know what I'm saying? Like, sleep clubs are so small, if you socially distance, you're fitting, like, what, 20 people in there? Maybe. Right. I mean, if your club is is 50 then you know you're you got you got uh, fifteen twenty people. I just again I just don't know if those numbers really add up. Yeah. So, I mean, well, that's a bummer. Well, that's a well, that's a big <laughs> bummer. I'm only I'm only yeah. in my second year of comedy. You know what the hell? What was I thinking? Uh, well, I mean, it, the one thing I always tell about people who I mean I've been doing it for eleven years, so. If you do comedy, it's because you want to do comedy. It's not because you want to make money or be famous. It's because you enjoy it. So you'll do it in whatever capacity they let you do it. <laughs> so, yep. No, well, that, well that's mean, what it is. Back, that's why I'm producing. That's why I'm producing a show. That's why I'm jumping on any show. I mean, I'm gonna get up early to do. A, if somebody wants to do like a morning coffee thing, it's a little early for me. Whatever. I'm there. You know, whatever you want me to do. Yeah. So you'll stay sharp and you'll stay out there and you'll still. I mean, we'll. We'll come out of it. I mean, this sucks. (laughs) It definitely sucks. I mean, this is the longest break I've ever taken from doing stand-up. 
but I mean, it's the longest break everybody's ever taken. So we're all on the same playing field. Yes. I mean, I think that's the thing. Like everybody's going to be rusty when they come back. So at least we'll all be in the same boat. Oh yeah. That'll be actually fun to watch everybody having to go back on stage and kind of figure it out again for probably like the first month or so. Oh yeah. You can. Absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. Everybody getting their sea legs back and it's. <laughs> See- so you said you're in your 11th Comic. year. You're in your 11th year. How did you get started in comedy? Uh, I started in Pennsylvania, uh, in Scranton, actually. Scranton, Pennsylvania, 11 years ago. I watched an open mic, and then the next week, the, the person who was running it, Terry Granahan, who's still a great comic but lives in Pennsylvania, she was running an open mic at Wisecrackers Comedy Club. I just went through a terrible... Uh, long-term relationship breakup, so I was lost. I always loved stand-up, but I didn't know it was something you could do. <laughs> I always thought it was just like movie stars who did stand-up. And then, uh, so I went and watched. I found an open mic. I went and watched and then talked to the host, and she told me to come back next week and try it, and I came back, and then I never stopped. It was basically like my first, I, uh, it's like my first heroin thing. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, I've been chasing, God, the, chasing first the dragon ever since. First yeah. taste is free, buddy boy, and after that, it's going to cost you. Yeah, it's going to cost. So, yeah, then I just did it. I never stopped. I did uh, five years in uh, Pennsylvania, and then when I was 30, I moved to New York. And then uh, I've been there for about, I was there for six years, give or take. So, yeah, and that's that. Cool. So, All right. Well, that yeah. was easy. <laughs> that's a pre- as yeah, origin stories like, uh, go. I, uh, you know, it's no, they yeah. killed my parents in an alley, but you know, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's not bad. I know. I wish I had a better one instead of just yeah, I cut these wood to try it and did. <laughs> and so that's true for a lot of people, though. I mean, I, mine is I took a class. I mean, you know, I I could come up with a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, I grew up loving Steve Martin and blah blah blah. You know, but but the reality is, I didn't think of it as something that I could do. Like that, it really took right. it took a bit of it took a little push. Someone had to give me a bit of a nudge, and it turns out it's a really good fit for what I like to do. I like writing. I like performing. These are these are those are two things that you do when you're doing stand up. You know, and I love writing jokes. Like I was sitting and looking at Daily Mail this morning and just scribbling down, you know, jokes based on the headlines. That's I had great, a great time. Then you're working, working that topical joke writing muscle. Yeah, so, I love I that. I mean, stuff. you're really that will prepare you to write packets and all that other stuff for like late shows or any like. Yeah, that's one thing. That's one tool I should probably try and hone. Well, I have all this free time. It's topical jokes. <laughs> I've never. Well, that's an easy one to practice because like because there's a ton of shit yeah. going on. You know, there's so there's so many outlets. Um, I I personally like Daily Mail, but the Sun is pretty good. Or I mean, just Google News, obviously. I mean, clearly a lot of stuff. I don't really do, I don't really do political stuff. So I, so that's a huge chunk that's kind of goes away. I mean, I will occasionally do do some political jokes, but nothing. I don't dig that deep into it. It's just not really my thing. Yeah, political comedy. I, I well, that's one of the hardest things I'm struggling with right now. Is that just uh, I guess topical jokes are make it easier. It's just just struggling with the vast negativity of that 
is the news. So, I mean, you're getting an opportunity to, I guess, turn it around. But, yeah, sometimes I've found myself distancing from news. I'm like, they'll tell me when I'm allowed to go back outside. So. <laughs> Oh yeah! Oh, I can't deal with watching the news all the time. I I just I, yeah. I I actually genuinely don't get people who are glued to MSNBC or glued to CNN or even glued to Fox News, whatever that whatever their choice is. I I just don't understand it. I don't see how you enjoy that this that constant barrage of stuff. It's just ugh, ugh. Yeah. just very very constant unpleasant. Negativity all day, every day. Like it's yeah. Just, uh, like my parents look at it a lot. They'll come home and they'll just look at the news. And like when I was by myself for a month, I wouldn't even read news. So it's like an adjustment for me because it's hard to avoid just finding out what's going on in the world. And then you're like, fuck, like what a shit show this is. Like, and then you have to deal with it. And like, I don't know, it's tough. You know what I mean? To take in that. Because news is no way past these positive it's always negative <laughs> like there's no well especially like, oh. now i mean particularly now yeah. we're in the middle of you know the pandemic but do the comedians you know get into political comedy uh the comedians i know and like no i don't usually gravitate towards political comics so the comics that i hang out with or talk to they're not political comics they're more right life comics biographical comics you know uh, life story type stuff. I mean, the only maybe political, I'll, I'll watch The Daily Show or like last week tonight, I liked, but I don't usually, political comedy is so hard because it's so uh, dividing. Like, I mean, as soon as you start anyway, like 50% of the crowd is not on board. So I, right. mean, I, I guess it would be the hardest type of joke writing because you have to win that 50% that immediately disagrees with you. Well, on a t- on a show like a Daily Show or last week or last week tonight, there there you're presumably if somebody's tuned in, they agree with you, so so you don't have to worry about it there. But when you're doing it in a club, I I just yeah, I find, I mean for the most part, unless you're doing a Trump impression, you say Trump and it chills the room. Like I I just yeah, that's been my experience. Like I had a I had a joke where I I was something like I grew up I grew up in New York. And you know, blah blah blah. I remember when this was. I remember this. I remember when Trump was a Democrat, and I tried it, and it was it was like just throwing a bucket of cold water on the audience. They were just not interested. They do not want to hear it. Yeah, it's fun. Like, just just it's don't funny say it. Like, just don't say it. Some clubs have a solid no Trump rule. Really? No Trump joke. Yeah. Really? So John, I don't know. Do you know? Do you know John Laster? No, I don't think so. Well, he's a he's like a seller comic. He's pretty popular um, in New York, and uh, there's this club at the Borgata in Atlantic City that's booked by uh, Gotham, I think. Okay. And they have a solid they have a solid no Trump rule. Wow. And it was like a, it was a big story for a while in the comedy community that he broke the Trump rule and they fired him. Wow. So, because they're you just don't. They don't want to alienate that audience because in Atlantic City you have no idea. Like you're going to have Trump supporters in that audience. Sure. You know what I mean? It's not like New York where there's a pretty good chance everybody there is at least liberal. You know what I mean? But like once you go outside New York, you never know. Like I'm surprised on how many people love Trump down here. Like it's almost like disheartening how popular he is down here. <laughs> so. I think 
there's people in New York that like them too. I I know a couple, but I th- but I think it's not you know when you're right. I mean, when it comes to a club, you know, you're not likely to alienate the entire cra- the entire crowd, or if you do, they're gonna they're gonna kind of hang back because they understand that they're in the minority. Yeah, for sure. So, but yeah, outside, I mean, anywhere else, it's just, I mean, when you do the road and you drive and you see those Trump, Trump Pence signs and like Trump bumper stickers and all that other stuff, you're like, I think that's what a lot, I always tell if you're doing comedy, you need to do, you can't just do New York comedy. You got to go out and see the rest of the, try your jokes in somewhere that's not your comfort zone. Like go to a, southern state do comedy try and get into a festival that's in a southern state or go to the midwest because you'll see how that uh, the rest of the country doesn't think the way new york does and i think a lot of new york comics think new york's such like an elite place and we're above a lot of it and we're not you know what i mean we're new york's a minority compared to how the rest of the country thinks sure <laughs> oh yeah absolutely yeah. no no i, I I did I did a set in Colorado in a in a very small town, and it, w- it was really interesting. I opened for an alt country band, and it was really cool. It was the, the jokes went over pretty good. It was a very it was not a great setup for comedy. There was nobody anywhere near the stage because they had set it up for dancing, so that was its own thing. But it was definitely a fun challenge to do stand up for an audience that frankly wasn't even that interested in seeing a comedian to begin with. Um, but certainly didn't really know from a New York Jew talking about, you know, sort of, you know, I'm a stay-at-home dad, uh, you know, on my usual shtick. And it, and it went okay. It, you know, it, overall it went it went fine. I wouldn't call it a bomb, but it was but it was definitely kind of, it was kind of cool to get out of that comfort zone. Yeah, those are the type of shows that make you a better comic. That's what I think. I mean, if you're doing a hard show where you have to win a comic over or win a crowd over or like something's not set up the right way, so you have to adapt. I think those are what really build your comedic chops because then it makes you like a switchblade. Like you could be put in any situation and you know how to handle it. You can be funny anywhere. Uh, That was like my first five years of comedy was just doing bad shows, like bad bar shows, bad fundraiser shows, weird charity shows. Like just wherever I could get up, I would go, and they were never – ever like set up properly for comedy and i feel like that really really pushed me to be so much better of a comic because it puts you on your toes it keeps you sharp yeah absolutely uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense i think that's probably very good advice um who are some of your favorite comics um it's funny because it changed it's weird when i Right before and right in the beginning of when I started doing stand-up, I was a huge uh, Dane Cook fan, actually. Right before, I loved Dane. I saw Dane live a couple times uh, before I was a comedian, and then right after I started doing stand-up, I saw Dane live a few times. And then uh, as more as I became a comic and realized, like, what comedy was like, uh, I started becoming a fan of, like, I mean, still to this day, Burr is my favorite. Bill Burr. I really like Jim Jeffries. Um, I really like uh, those type of guys, like the edgy guys, like Robert Kelly I was a huge fan of. Like when I saw Dane, Robert open for him, and I actually thought Robert was funnier. 
I think I gear towards the guys that are really like club comics. Like they really cut their teeth in the right. hard rooms and like where you can tell right sharp and like I like something that pushes the envelope and makes you think a little bit. Like I don't like that uh I don't like Seinfeld's just not my cup of tea. <laughs> the safe comedy is not my thing. But I do really like uh Nate Bargatze. So I mean, maybe I'm changing again more towards the because <laughs> I mean he's a super clean comic. So I, I feel I like being a clean being a clean comic can be a challenge. I mean, I, I'm I'm mostly a clean comic, and I'm going to stay that way. Like I'm not. It's I, and it wasn't intentional. It was just I kind of realized, you know what? Most of my stuff is clean. So why don't I just lean into that a little? Because that'll maybe open a couple of doors later. Um, you know that it's not really where I'm going. And then, and then, then of course, then it's interesting things that you think are clean are really not. Like I, I have the certain jokes that I have, someone went over my set with, and they were like, "Well, you know, that one, I don't know about that. That that might not actually be okay if you were. I mean, I'm not worried about going on TV, but that's kind of the way you evaluate. And I, it was interesting, but you know, like it's interesting because a lot of comics say that Seinfeld is not their favorite. That's actually a very a very common refrain. It's weird because he's the bar. In a way, everybody's like, well, Seinfeld, he's the, I mean, him and Chappelle are said to be the best, but him and Chappelle are two completely different comics. So, oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, but, I mean, clean comedy is by far, in my mind, the hardest and the most impressive type of comedy to do. If you can go into a room and be super clean and crush, like, man, that's like, I think that's the absolute best. You know what I mean? Like, when I watched, uh, I went to see Nate Bargatze at the, in Town Hall for last year's New York Comedy Festival. Yeah. And he was doing mostly new stuff. It was all super clean, and he just, I mean, he murdered. And it's just, like, so impressive to, I mean, I can't even write a new joke without saying the F word. So, <laughs> like, it just automatically goes in there while I'm writing new stuff. It's just how it comes out. So I mean, for to go in front of a like a theater and be super clean is like, man, writing clean jokes is hard, but you can make the most money and get the most work being super clean. Oh yeah, no, I was there was a guy yesterday on this panel that I was talking about that um, was saying. You know, if you want to do corporate gigs, you need you know, you know you don't just need to be clean. You need to have a clean tape, and you know to get it in there, and it re- it has to be squeaky clean. Like, the, but once you have that, then there's a whole world open to you, and that to me is very inspiring. Like, I would I would love to be able to do that. Yeah, well, they even say <clears throat> so. Right now, like, if you made an album or whatever and you got it on Sirius, you make the most money when you're clean because it can be paid on every channel. So I guess... Oh, uh, interesting. Like seven or eight comedy channels are on Sirius or something like wow. that. So I, I had no idea they had that up. many. Yeah, so if you're clean, you can get played on all eight. If you're dirty, you can only get played on three or four, I think. So, I mean, it really drastically reduces the amount of rotation your jokes get and how much money you can make from it. So it's a, it's a huge difference. And plus, I mean, corporate gigs, you have to be ungodly clean. Like a whole, like, I always think, like, shit's not that bad or, like, a couple, like, like you can toe the line, you can't. Like, at a corporate gig, you cannot toe the line. Like, it has to be 
even the crowd gets mad at you on how clean they want you to be. Like, they don't want you to be that clean, but you have to be because you got hired to be that way. It's like a weird struggle. Like, <laughs> it's hard to describe, but, like, you could tell the crowd wants you to go dirty, but you know you'll get fired if you do. So it's, like, weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, that, that, mm-hmm. um, yes, I know, I, I, I get what you're saying. That makes that makes sense. I I, I could see the crowd. But I, I've heard that where the crowd is like, you know, come on, man, would you loosen up? And and you're sorry, not what I not what I was paid to do. I got to keep it clean. Can't can't do it. Yeah, I've done some clean gigs where I was super clean, and then after the show, the people were like, we were waiting for you to you know really let it rip. Like we don't understand why you didn't. You're like I was told I can't. You know what I mean? Like I had to follow the rules. You guys aren't the ones paying me, so I got to be what they tell me to be. So Yeah, talk to your boss. I've heard some comics like Yeah, talk to your bosses. I've heard some comics like, yeah, I'll just give them what the crowd wants. And I'm like and they're like, I don't understand why I never got invited back. And I'm like, Yeah, you <laughs> the crowd what they wanted. Not what you got paid to do. So You think maybe we like you think we always pay too. You think maybe some comics pay too much attention to that? Because 'cause you're right. I mean the crowd is not the one paying you, so you kind you gotta you gotta play by the rules no matter what. Yeah, I think some comics are so focused, you know, like I'd rather just crush and then feel good that I did well instead of realizing, like, you kind of shot yourself in the foot. Like, sometimes you have to kind of... But, I mean, that's the challenge is find a way to crush by playing in the rules. You know what I mean? Like, you have to figure out how to... Like, I think the most of the stuff I write, I can go both ways with it. If it's... Like, I can let loose and it can be dirty and, like, I can you know, swear and stuff, but I could also super clean it up and the jokes still work. You know what I mean? So you got to kind of find a way to do both. And then you enable yourself to get way more work. Because, I mean, what forced me to do that is that I've got hired. They asked me if I could be clean. And I was like, yeah, I could be clean. And then your mind, you know what I mean? You're like, I can clean it up. It'll be fine. Then you get there and realize the dudes you're opening for is like, ridiculously clean, so you have to be ridiculously clean. You can't go in front of a a ridiculously clean guy and be like, F this and F that, and like, I was doing this, and then, you know what I mean? Then you're going to get fired probably as soon as you get off stage. (laughs) So, I mean, you really, I I learned a lot by doing stuff like that, is that it pushes you to learn where your material is and how to look at it. Right. So it's like, it's tough, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense to have a clean version. Yeah, like a super clean version. And I think, like, I think, uh, I think it was in one of Goldman's writing tips from last year was that, I mean, only put in the F word or a swear word if the joke absolutely needs it. So if it's funny without it, then you don't need it. But. I need a book of those writing tips. I know they're all I know they're all online, but I really want those collected in a book so I can so I can mm-hmm. flip through them and it would just it would be much easier if it's just how I digest to get information. That would be much more pleasant for me. Yeah, I think he I don't know if it's a book, but he definitely released I think Vulture somewhere has like all of them together. Oh, is that right? Which is great. So maybe you can print it out and have like a little like but uh I always joke that he should have made it one of those like tear off calendars. Yeah, absolutely, hundred <laughs> percent. I would like, get that. Those, yeah, I've had those far side calendars. Yeah, those yeah, absolutely. What's wrong with that? That's a great yeah, idea. Yeah. 
Goldman a day calendar. Goldman yeah. tip a day, sure. I mean, every comedian would buy it. Yeah, I mean, from when I sent, like, uh, Twitter notifications for Goldman so that every day I got to see what it was. And a lot of them, like, I – even I was like, oh, shit, I don't do that. You know what I mean? It's been a real – even – I mean, 11 years in, I was learning a lot of stuff. So, I mean, they're very useful, and it definitely puts you in a a perspective on how hard you actually, you know, work on your material or how hard you, you know, put it through the gauntlet of making sure it's super good. So, Let me see. Vulture Goleman. Gary Goleman Vulture. Gary Goleman's 366 Comedy Tips. Nice. Nice. Look at you. Um, Paul Sprout. Yeah, I mean, everybody should read it. So it'll take your comedy to the next level. Oh, it's organized. I mean, I, it's organized I, I, by... <laughs> Click any tip to see Goldman's original tweet. Writing. Tip number one, record every set. Tip number two. Well, okay. Eh, all right. I would like to have just the, t- just the tweets, but okay. This is not bad. So this is basically, this is in lieu of a book. Yeah, that's like, I mean, he should release it as a book anyway, because he probably make money, but maybe he doesn't want to. I don't know. But I mean, Goldman's yeah. one of my favorites, too. That guy's, I mean, his bit no, he's great. on uh, the, the state abbreviation bit. Like the state abbreviation is that. so funny. And I'm a gullible guy, and I was like, huh, I guess that'd be a weird documentary. <laughs> I totally yeah, bought is it. Is that a real job? Yeah, yeah, I was like, is that a real thing? Well, because he sets it up, to, like he said, because they did do, a, they really did do one about Helvetica. Like there really was a, a documentary about the font. So like yeah. that to me made, and I'm sure that's intentional. It makes it more believable. Yeah, because I mean, who's going to really, I mean, that sounds like a boring ass documentary for sure. <laughs> oh my <laughs> God, it sounds deadly. Yeah. I mean, I love a good documentary. Right. I mean, something you know, something like When We Were Kings, which my dad worked on, is an is an amazing documentary. Or the one about the spelling bee. I don't know if you saw that one. Um, I forget what that one was called. So good, like really compelling, really really interesting. Yeah, I, I heard. Yeah, and so a good documentary really crushed it. But a font? <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's about a font? I'm sorry. What? And so I mean I I'm, I'm, I assume that's where the idea came from. I don't I don't know obviously, but but yeah, that is just that is an all time classic bit. That is just a great great bit and clean, totally clean, super clean. Yeah, and then uh, I mean it's just that's a level, you know what I mean? Like you can take that bit and the bit that he did on Conan is actually a shorter version, it's a longer version. But yeah, I mean you can take that to a corporate gig anywhere. And, do the bit as is, and it's an unbelievable bit. It's probably one of the best bits, I think, if I had to rank it, at least the top ten best bit. <laughs> it's so, just so clever and original, and, you know, just, it's it's just, yeah, it's really good. It's really smart. It's, also, it's a smart joke. Like, like there's a lot of thought yeah. that went into that. I think, he, t- I think it told, he said it took him a year to write. Yeah, he said it took him a He said he put it down and then went back to it. Like, oh, okay. he, he started it, he couldn't get it to work, and then he came back to it, and he said he, it took him a long time to write. So, I mean, you know that's when sometimes your best bitch you have to put down and come back to. Or sometimes you start writing a new joke, and you're like, oh, this would kind of work 
with this other bit I had a long time ago, and then you combine them, and then you're like, oh, there, that that was what I was missing. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I mean, I could see where that, where something like that just takes time, you know? I mean, I, I, I'm still at the point where, like, I've had, sh- I've had short jokes that I come back to, but I've never written anything that long, um, and even if I... If I did, I, there's nothing I've worked on for that amount of time. And it, what, what I guess it shows is there's, there's rewards there, that it, it's worth it to spend that much time because, you know, you can potentially get something really great. Yeah. I mean, I think I think two years in, like, short bits are going to be your thing. You know, I mean, when I was early on, everything was fast and to the point because I, I, you have to have, like, a – I wouldn't say confidence, but like doing a long bit, you have to really believe that you have the ability to keep people's attention (laughs) long enough to do the whole bit. You know what I mean? To do a five minute bit is five minutes doesn't seem like a long time, but in comedy time, that's a long time for one bit. That's a long time. I mean, listen, when you're first starting, I don't know about you, but when I first started, five minutes seemed like an eternity just in general. Now it doesn't feel like that much, but, but certainly, but I'm not doing one joke for five minutes. You know, like I got, there's, there's no. a lot. If I make a set list, there's a lot of hits on there. Yeah, you're just, you're machine gunning jokes out, kind of. You know what I mean? Because that's, uh, I mean, I don't know how at this point, like the one of the, if I had to give, any advice that what really made me a better comic was uh, (laughs) it always makes no sense when you say if a comic get it is that learning how to go slow Mm. is huge Uh, being comfortable in silence is huge Uh, because I think that's a lot of especially when I first started is I was just power through like, you couldn't have, like, a moment where you just kind of stood there and kind of just, like, be in the moment. You always had to fill. Either they had to be laughing or you had to be telling a joke. There couldn't be, like, quiet. And sometimes, like, a solid pause can really add to a joke. Like, if you really linger after a punchline, sometimes people, it takes them a second to get it. And you just don't want to, like, I stepped on my own laughs a ton. Like yeah, I do that a lot. That's encouraging to hear you say that that's, a, that's common because that's definitely something I do. Yeah, because you're just comfortable standing there and just letting them laugh. Going slow, letting them laugh, and then just uh, those are the two huges. And, just, and not not caring. Not caring is like the biggest secret to stand up. It's so weird. <laughs> like if you go up there and care too much, uh you're just not as funny when you go up there and you're just having a good time and you don't care and you're going with the flow and doing like, you know what I mean? It's funny. That's what, that's what Matt Arise said to me. As a, he, well, the first time I yeah. did a check spot, he was like, don't worry about being funny. And I just sort of stared at him. He's like, just go. <laughs> I said, okay. Yeah. And it went great. I had a great time. Yeah. I always find that my best set is when I go up there and I just don't care. And you're just having a good time. And the crowd feels like you are just having a good time, so they get along with it. It's just, uh, I think uh, Chris Rock said it somewhere too. He said that uh, he said the secret to comedy is uh, just not caring. He's like, I mean, he used the F word, but he said, yeah, the secret <laughs> is not. But he can because he's famous. Like, you just so have it's to go, okay. Yeah, 
you just have to go up there and not care. And then it changes everything. It's like I can always tell that I'm not going to have, like, if I'm in a situation where it's, like, a big club or, like, I'm auditioning for something and you're in your head and then you go on stage and you're in your head, you're just not there. You just don't have the same connection because you're in your head. you got to be outside. you got to be – you just can't give a shit. <laughs> it makes such a big – but it's so hard to do. It's so hard mm. to not care. Paul, I hate so. to cut you off because this is going great, but we got but we got to stop. Um, tell everyone where they can find you on social media. Um, at Paul Spread on everything, it's super easy. Lucky um, you. Yeah, I got lucky. I got lucky that I got my name. Nobody else wanted it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Paul, man, thank you so much for doing the show. I really appreciate it. Um, everyone will be back tomorrow at 11 a.m. And uh, as always, please stay safe. For sure. Thanks for having me.